On this podcast, we're breaking the silence. Welcome to Mental Health. It's time to talk. Here's your host, Alan Kaler. Hello, everyone. As many of you know, tomorrow is September 10th, which is World Suicide Prevention Day. And on this episode, I am very grateful. I'm very honored for our guest today. And for those of you who don't know the personal connection, our guest, Ed Andres, is the father of my best friend, Justin, who died by suicide. Ed, I truly appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thank you so, so much. No, it's my pleasure, Alan. Always good to talk to you. The the thing that strikes me, Ed, is over the years, and we're actually approaching 10 years since Justin's passing, and what I genuinely appreciate about you, Ed, is I've reached out to you many, many times to have these conversations, and not once, not once have you ever hesitated. You've always been open. And I guess before we dive in, I'm curious, why are these conversations around mental health, around suicide important to you? Well, initially, when uh, probably the first time that uh, you talked to me about it, um, for, my, for myself, it was therapy. Um, I had learned early on that the importance of talking about things like this. And so for my own benefit, as hard as it was, I knew it was going to be good for me. And so that's, I guess that's why I did it initially. But since then, and it's funny that you asked this question because I was thinking about it just today. And when I was starting to stress out a little bit about this evening, um, I thought, why do I keep doing this? And I thought, you know, it's, I think it's because I want to give Justin a voice that he no longer has. And so I try to relate things that I think he would want me to relate to the public about mental illness, about the struggles that he went through. Yeah, I I relate to you on that level, Ed. I very much feel as though, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I very much feel Justin's presence still, and I'm very grateful that we can have these conversations because I find a lot of people who struggle with mental health, they, they have a very hard time finding their voice, whether it's because of the stigma that still exists. But uh, really, Ed, I think, uh, well, I know that Justin would be most proud. Um, I have a, a candle here for him. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it, emotions are a funny thing, aren't they? You know, with grief, it's like, like even now, you know, I'm fine one minute and then it's like, bang. Uh, but what I've always respected about you is that you just give yourself permission to feel. When when you're going through those periods of grief, it just is what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you mentioned, it's been almost 10 years now since Justin left us. And still, I mean, it's not like it was initially, but still, even today, um, you talking to Gormley this morning, there's times where tears welled up because, yeah, I feel Justin close and we just miss him that much and it still hurts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ed, I want to talk about what led up to Justin taking his life because hindsight is obviously 2020. 
And when you look back at some of maybe the signs or symptoms that Justin was expressing, for those who maybe have a loved one going through it, what are some things that stood out for you? Where the way it all started with uh, us and Justin was um, it was when he was attending university in Edmonton. And uh, up to that point, he seemed to be living a pretty happy, carefree life until one day he uh, contacted us by phone and he, he request he had a request for us. He wanted to know what what he was like growing up through his childhood. And uh, initially we thought, well, it seemed like kind of an odd request, but we didn't know what his reason was for asking this. And so we related his, his childhood growing up in eyebrow. Uh, he was a happy little boy and got into the usual troubles and things like that. Nothing, no, nothing out of the ordinary. It wasn't until um, we told him all these things and then he came back and said, he was not happy with the answers we gave him. That wasn't what he was looking for. And it was almost like he had lost his identity and he just didn't know who he was. But he was going through a very troubled time, a very disturbing time in his life. Um, he was, it was right around that time that he broke up with his longtime girlfriend and um, his biological mom had just entered his life. And yeah, it just totally upset his entire life, I think. And it seemed like he no longer knew who he really was, where he belonged. And that, that is what he was looking for. Like, who am I? And I think that was probably one of the first signs of that there's, there was a mental illness there, but we didn't know it at the time. But I, that was one of the first signs that we saw in hindsight, like you said, in 2020. Yeah. Well, and I remember there was also a time, Ed, where Justin had come down to the farm and he made a comment, something to the effect of, you have no idea what it's like to try to fight these voices in my head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, uh, he'd come home to one weekend to help me set up a garden shed in our backyard. And it was at a time when he was very depressed and we could see how much he was struggling with his depression. And I suggested to him, you know, I said, you're not doing well, you need to get help. And he says, I know I need help, but he says, it's just as bad when I'm on my highs. And this is about the time when he started realizing he was probably bipolar. So he had the highs, extreme highs and extreme lows. And at that time he was in a very, very low, low spot. And, uh, he said, no, I, I can't live this way and I can't live on my highs either. There was no happy medium. And that's, yeah. And then he made the comment, it's, it's like fighting a battle in my head every single day of my life. And that, yeah, that was when we started to realize the struggle that he was going through. So then as a father, Ed, when you have those front row seats and you see someone that you truly care about struggling and you encourage someone to get help as you did with Justin, how do you deal with that attempt to just surrender your control? Uh, the, like control for us? Like you, you can't force him to go get help, right? You can encourage him to go get help, but, but how do you then, like when Justin left, for example, 
then how do you try to just not let that consume you? Or did it consume you? At that point, no, I don't think it did. Um, I think we still did not realize how bad it really was. It was, it was far worse than what we recognized. And once again, in hindsight, had we known how bad he was struggling, I think we would have put him in our car and driven him to the hospital and found help for him. But yeah, like I said, we just had no idea how bad it really was until it was too late. And that's the thing with, with a mental illness, I think you get to a point or he got to a point where he no longer could think or act rationally and eventually yeah, led to his death because he just couldn't, uh, couldn't get the help that he really needed. It's one of those moments, isn't it, Ed, where, you know, when the phone rings and you know your your life is about to go in a very different direction. And obviously loss is a part of life. Grief is a part of loss. But when it comes in the form of suicide, it is different. What was it like for you trying to navigate through some of that grief and loss when it was a suicide? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> It's so beyond what a person can even imagine that it's hard to express what it was like. Um, the shock, well, yeah, I think because of the shock, we actually went went into shock at the time and didn't even realize it. Uh, we, we continued to function day to day and were very, kept very busy just dealing with um, initially the funeral and then all the things that come after that. So we spent about six months dealing with all this. And uh, it was probably about after about six months after he died, we started to come out of that shock and it started to truly sink in. At that point, we, yeah, we hadn't totally comprehended our loss yet. And then when that started to sink in, it was like it happened all over again. And we had to start right from day one and start rebuilding. But for, we were very fortunate over that first winter. Um, we were directed to some counselors. And uh, we sat in with a group of other um, people that had lost loved ones to suicide. And just being with those people on a weekly basis, talking it through, and letting our emotions and our feelings out, it was so beneficial. It was so helpful. And I would highly recommend that to anybody that is going through that. Yeah, get go to counseling. It's It was so helpful. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were not a big fan of attending that first group, yes? That is absolutely true. <laughs> I felt, yeah, I knew, I knew, I knew uh, for Janet's sake and for our other, other son, I felt they needed to have that, and I thought, I will go along with it, and found out I was totally wrong. It was, it was me that needed it just as much as they did. Yeah, and uh, I'm so grateful that someone directed us in that direction. Well, and, and when you think about some of the scripts that you had as a kid, Ed, around a man, what it means to be a man... Shedding tears and talking about pain probably was not some of those lessons that you were taught. That's true. When I think back to my dad, 
I can't ever recall him shedding a tear over anything. And yeah, he went through some bad times. He, when he lost his parents and different things like that and never, ever saw him shed a tear. And I think that is, that's the environment I grew up in that no men just don't cry no matter what and realize that's not, that's not the way it should be. And it's, it's not healthy. I, I have shed many tears over the years and yeah, it's, um, you have to release that grief. That's just another thing, Ed, that I really love about you because you break down some of those intergenerational walls. You rewrite the scripts because the, the reality is that the next generation will just repeat the behaviors if they can't see us as adults modeling that vulnerability or reaching out for help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. And yeah, I, I think every generation is um, is getting more aware of the fact that men men need to, need to express their emotions also. Ed, I want to talk a bit about blame because you articulated it perfectly in my opinion. In fact, some of the feedback from your story in the book on men and mental health is around the one paragraph. And I just want to read exactly what you said, because blame is something that comes up often for people who've lost a loved one to suicide. And in your words, Ed, you say, I have blamed myself many times for not taking Justin to get help. And Janet feels the same way. We both know that we should have done more than we did. However, something we decided right from the get-go was that we were not going to place blame on anyone, especially not on each other. Too many marriages have ended this way after losing a child, and we agreed it would not happen to us. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something that we learned early on in our counseling sessions. Uh, we were told the statistics of marriages that break up after a suicide in the family. And Janet and I, I, I considered our marriage a very happy one at that point, and I... I was determined to keep it that way, and I was not going to let blame come in the way. Blame is, it wasn't, wouldn't, wouldn't gain anything by blaming anybody, and it would do a lot of harm. Yeah, so true, so true. Very good insight. And I, I think that for me, when these types of tragedies, Ed, happen in our communities, People don't always know what to do, what to say. I mean, for you, you were living in Eyebrow at the time on a farm, very, very small community. And sometimes, you know, people feel like they're going to say the wrong thing. So therefore they're silent, but then it might imply that they don't care. What is it that you needed from people, from your supports? Yeah, just for for our friends to recognize uh, recognize the loss that we had suffered. Um, we were always, as hard as it was, we were always more than willing to talk about Justin to anybody that would listen. And I mean, we didn't want to burden people with our story, but if they lent an open ear, we were more than happy to talk because, like I said, it was therapy. Um, if you can talk, 
talk openly about your loss. Uh, I think it's it helped a great deal in our healing process. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's some people that uh, they definitely and I and I never ever blamed anybody for walking away or not mentioning Justin because uh, I I knew for myself if if the shoe was on the other foot I would be the same way I would avoid the topic at any cost. But I sure appreciated the people that were brave enough to to talk to listen. And through those conversations, you have been able to inform, educate, and make other people aware about mental health. Because one of the things that we continuously hear when it comes to suicide is that one word selfish. You know that suicide is selfish. And we actually filmed one of our conversations, Ed. And it's maybe like, I don't know, three minutes long. And we chucked it on YouTube. And I feel like it's almost got 20,000 views because it resonates with people. You had an experience that allowed you to have empathy so that you could understand a little bit about what it was like for Justin, who was struggling so much with his mental health. Yeah, that's true. Um, it was it was uh, very bizarre. and. Uh... To this day, I don't understand how it actually happened, but it, it must have been, I guess, maybe Justin's spirit came down on me and gave me this experience to help understand the, why he did what he did. Because at that point, I asked every day, Justin, how could you do this? And one day, I, it was uh, over Christmas, and um, we were sitting in our living room opening presents, and and typically, that would be a very joyous time. And I started to feel a very heavy sadness come over me. And I, I wasn't sure what was going on. Why would I feel like this? And it just got worse and worse. And finally, I thought, I, I just have to get out of here. I, I can't handle this. So I left town. I went for a drive. And I went out to the farm and just wandered around the farmyard. And trying to figure out what was going on. Why was I feeling like this? And I, I couldn't come up with an answer. I didn't know why, why I was feeling so sad and so burdened. And so finally I thought, well, I better get back to town and uh, they're going to wonder where I am. As I was driving back to town, I once again said, Justin, how could you do this? And that's when I realized if he felt the way I, or the way I was feeling, if that's how he dealt for the last however many months, I totally understand why he would have to end his life because it was like unbearable. It was just such a heavy feeling and not, not just sad, but just so burdensome. And um, yeah, you, you're just racking your brain. You can't figure out what's going on. And that's when all of a sudden I, uh, yeah, I realized and this is what he dealt with day after day for months at a time. And I not, and not a day or not once since then have I ever asked Justin, how could you do it? I know why he had to do it. That's thank you for sharing that. It's um, it's really hard, isn't it, to answer that why for a lot of people. For me, when it initially happened, Ed, when I got the call, it it was like um it was like I had this thousand piece puzzle that was thrown down and 500 pieces were missing. And I knew that I would never be able to piece them all together. And 
you know, looking back, you can see some of those, oh, you know, those signs that we talked about before. Uh, like I, I, I actually remember when he came over for the last time and Ed, um, like he, he was the only person that I ever said, I love you to as a man. And I just remember, you know, that last hug, it was a little longer than usual. And um, I remember saying to Tanya, you know, like that was a little, a little, um, a little longer, but yeah, hindsight. Um, and then when we talk about selfish, perhaps the selfishness is more on our behalf because we just miss that person so much. But to your point, we can sometimes be so quick to judge that we never really understand their true pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. It's, it's impossible to, unless you have an experience like what I had, it's impossible to understand the pain that the person with mental illness is going through. And we also know that Justin did such a good job of keeping that inside of him. And it made it difficult for us to recognize what he was struggling with. But it was a long time that he struggled with that. Well, and you think about how draining that must have been for Justin, how draining it is for so many people who wear that proverbial mask, because for those of anybody listening who didn't know Justin, Justin was the guy who was the life of the party. He was full of life. And I know that for a lot of people, after Justin died by suicide, it was like, what? No, couldn't be. Not him. And over the years, those are more themes that I hear when those numerous suicides took place in Medicine Hat. I think there's up to seven men. So many of the comments were the same. He was the life of the party. How could on and on and on? And I think for us, it's like, wow, you know, you 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 really never know what somebody's going through. No, that's true. Yeah, and it, since Justin died um we've encountered other suicides and it was the same thing with their personalities they would be the last person in the world that you would think was struggling and to the point of ending their life and and therefore i think like for me ed one of the takeaways is leave nothing left unsaid you know one of the things that i learned is in those moments if you think that somebody is struggling make sure that you say and do everything so you don't have to look back thinking damn i i wish i had done more yeah don't you don't want to have those regrets for sure yeah it's it's not worth it uh and it's worth so much more to to ask the awkward question or yeah it's um maybe you maybe you're totally off base but you won't know until you actually talk. And that that's just it. Like for so many people, it's head on a swivel after somebody dies. It's, oh, I should have, oh, I could have. We do the best we can with the tools that we have. And I just find it interesting that six years, six years after Justin's passing, your daughter Dee then started having her own challenges with mental health. But what was different is you had a whole new set of tools yeah, we were much ab more able to recognize the difficulty she was going through. And I think even more importantly than that, she knew herself uh, it, uh, with the occupation that she's in. She saw firsthand many times people struggling like she was. And she knew exactly where she needed to go 
before she hit rock bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And thankfully, you know, you were able to play that supporting role and she was able to get the help that she needed. And I just, again, I love the fact that when you all collectively share these stories, there is no shame. It just is what it is. And you use those experiences to educate others and you bring people into your world. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I would encourage anybody that is struggling with a mental illness. Um, talk, talk to your friend, um, get professional help, see a counselor, uh, see your family doctor to start with if you have to, and possibly you may possibly need medication, whatever the case may be, but there is help available as we have found out since. And uh, yeah, so for in these case, she got the help she needed and she's doing very well right now. Beautiful, love it. Ed, I want to talk briefly about the healing journey. He healing is is one heck of a process. Are there things that have really helped you or strategies to cope with this whole process of grief and loss? Well, like I said before, number one is uh, talking about it openly. Um, first of all, we, yeah, with professionals. And then we have friends that were willing to listen to us um, and keeping your relationship in our like with myself and Janet, um, we didn't hide our feelings. We, if we were struggling, we would let the other one know and say, you know, help each other out in that way. But it's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's a long process. There's no doubt about it. There's no quick fixes. Um, yeah, it's been almost 10 years, like we mentioned, and we are definitely doing much, much better. But it's a part of our life now. We, it's something we live with. Uh, we will never heal totally, but we will live with our wounds. Yeah, like it's it's not something that you just get over, but it's something that you can move through. Uh, the, there's a question, and I'd love to get your feedback, Ed. The question is, how... Do you help an adult child who is struggling, especially when they don't want to talk? Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Um, yeah, when they're when they're an adult, um, you you do have to respect and give their their space. But when it's life and death, um, you have to step in and do whatever it takes. There's uh, yeah, it's not worth losing a life. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I deal with a lot of individuals who will share something to the point where they may even have a, a plan in place or a suicide note in hand. But then at the end of the conversation, they'll say something like, I need you to keep this between us. Don't tell anyone. And what I see is then the other person often wants to be a good friend so they don't, but then if that person does die by suicide, how does it leave them feeling? Mm. So comes a time, exactly like you said, where you just got to act. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. I think you do have to, you have to act. Um, yeah, 
yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure how else to respond. Yeah, it's it's hard. Uh, again, I think we do the best that we can with what we have, leaving nothing left unsaid. But, you know, in the context of Justin, I've thought about this a lot. Like, at the end of the day, I could have dragged his ass to the hospital, but I could never have forced him to stay. I could have dragged him to a counselor, but I could never have forced him to speak. And so what I eventually understood, what I learned is there really is only so much that you can do in those moments. There's only so much that you can say, but it's more important for me, for my peace of mind to say those things so that I feel like I have a clean doorstep. And at the end of the day, they still, whoever that individual is, has choice. No doubt mental illness makes choice a little blurry because when we're in those depths or in that darkness, we don't think clearly. Correct. Yeah. Well, in the case of Justin, um, he had made a suicide attempt um, a couple of years earlier. And when he came home to re recuperate for a week, um, when he left, he promised he would never make another attempt on his life like that. And so for a couple of years, he didn't. But uh, even, I think it was a month before his death, he once again promised he would not die by suicide and unfortunately he did and so yeah you get i think he got to the point where obviously he didn't want to leave he didn't want to die but it got to the point where he found there was no other way out he he didn't see a, uh, any alternative and on the outside we so desperately want to believe that, don't we? Because, or I know for me, it was denial. You know, I, I to accept it means that it's real. And it's, it's hard to go to that place when it's somebody that you genuinely care about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, as we move forward, and like we said, it's been almost 10 years I would love to get your opinion when, when you look back at where we collectively were as a society, when it came to talking about things like mental illness, mental health, suicide, do you feel as though we are collectively progressing the right way? I absolutely think that just looking back at our home community and eyebrow, um, when this all happened initially, nobody, I don't, no one that I know of would have even mentioned to breathe the word suicide since then there have been many presentations uh, professionals speakers have been brought in to talk about mental health and about suicide and all those tough topics and the community as a whole has really opened up and understand much better now the problems that that, that exist agreed agreed and, and in large part you know people like yourselves ed like Janet, you know, you you just put yourselves out there and you share your lived experiences. I, I genuinely, truly appreciate that about you. It's it's a tough story to talk about, but it is it's part of our lives. Uh, we can't deny it, and uh, I just hope that by talking about it, that it's going to open people's eyes. It's going to help somebody that's maybe struggling, and. I just encourage them to to find somebody that they can talk to. And if they have nobody, 
Give me a call. I'm a good listener. I'm not a good talker. I'm a good listener. <laughs> that in itself, Ed, is rare. You know, I, I feel as though a lot of people are very good at talking. And sadly, I would say that very few people are good at listening. And I mean actively listening. So I appreciate you putting that out there. I'm not sure if you want to share any of your personal information. If you want to, please feel free to go, go ahead. I would, I think the best way is just to, if they can always contact you and you can pass on my information to them then. Totally. Yep. That's, that's fair. Thanks. And for myself, uh, info at alankaylor.com is probably the best. And that, that's, that's important because when we're talking about things that are this emotionally charged or this heavy, the last thing that we want is for people to feel like they, they have no place to go. And where we're living right now, Ed, you know, in Saskatchewan, we have everything from 211, which will connect you to community resources. We have 811. You know, it, it's, it's like when I was struggling with my mental health, I think I was too quick to play the victim role. Like, woe is me. Nobody would get me. Help doesn't exist. Oh, yes, it does. It is actually everywhere. And in today's day and age, it is literally at your fingertips. Right. Um, sometimes we need to assist others or propel them into action. And you've shared that you learned that with Justin, you know, now you would act, but there are resources and there is hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes it just takes a little push to get the person in the right direction. And yeah, the help is out there. Um, as we have found out with D, uh, she got excellent care. And she has recovered and we're just so thankful that that she was able to get that help. A hundred percent. You know, it it's cool. Like there's a lot of support out there for you, Ed, for this conversation in general. John Westhaver chimes in saying, Love this conversation. John is an incredibly resilient individual. Again, I truly appreciate you taking the time, especially because there's a Jays game on right now, and I know how you love the Jays. I really appreciate you strengthening this conversation, Ed. It's always my pleasure. Like I said, it's a stressful time for me, but I feel it's well worth it. And yeah, it's it's always a pleasure talking to you, Alan. Thanks, Ed. You take good care and uh, we'll talk soon, okay? Good night. Okay, good night. Thank you so much, everyone, for taking the time to tune in. Please reach out if you need help. Take good care and be well. <laughs>